Well, good morning, Oakwood. Glad that you're here. This is the last part of a series we've been in for the last uh, five weeks called Uncensored Truth. What does the Bible say? What is the uncensored truth? Because the Bible is our authority in all matters of faith and practice here at Oakwood. The first week we talked about the uncensored truth about God. The second week we talked about Jesus Christ. And the third week we talked about the Holy Spirit, the third part of the triune God. Then we talked about the uncensored truth about the Bible, where we get our truth. And then last week we uh, talked about the uncensored truth about church. What is, it, what is the church for? What does it mean to be a member of a church and, and all those things? And today uh, we're going to be talking about angels, demons, and spiritual warfare. Angels, demons, and spiritual warfare. I just want to remind you, you can always follow along with the sermon and engage with it through our app. If you just search Oakwood Enid in the App Store, you can download our app. It's available on Android and on the iPhone as well. Just curious this morning as we begin, just wonder if there's anyone here this morning, just be honest, if there's anyone here this morning that likes scary movies. If you like scary movies, raise your hand. All right, everybody look around. That's the people we're going to pray for, okay? Pray. <laughs> Put them on the top of your prayer. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm one of those, I'll just be honest with you this morning, I'm not a fan of scary movies because they scare me, okay? <laughs> I don't like feeling scared. Uh, I, I remember watching The Wizard of Oz for the first time as a child and, and the, among, the flying monkeys got me, you know, I had nightmares about that for days and uh, yeah, it was, just didn't like it, you know, it's just anything like that, The Wicked Witch of the West, it, it's just scary, you know, there are parts of Scripture, there are parts of the Bible, there's parts of the spiritual realm of the world that can sometimes be a little scary. At least, I think if we're honest this morning, we could say, well, it's a little unsettling for us, especially for those of us that would call ourselves Christians. And this morning what I want to do is just kind of share what Scripture says about angels and demons and spiritual warfare and really understand together what do we need to do, what should our response be as we as we come before the Lord, as we honor Him in this area of our life. So let's begin this morning with a positive. Let's begin with a good thing. Let's begin with the angels. What are angels exactly? Well, I know that some of you, when you think of the word angel, you think of a cute, chubby, pudgy little cherub, and you think of your grandma's Precious Moments collection, right? You remember Precious Moments? Some of you still have that. You know, I hate to break it to you, that is biblically, just speaking biblically, not exactly what angels look like. And then we get sometimes into the Christmas programs that go on everywhere. You know, the Christmas programs, the angels are always little children, you know, and they always have like a sparkly, you know, halo that they wear on their head. And what, what else do they need to be an angel? you got to have wings, right? got to strap on some, some wings. And, and again, you know, it, it's nice. And we look at it and we think, oh, that's what angels look like. Not necessarily true. Uh, sometimes we, we get, uh, we try to find uh, women with blonde hair, long blonde hair, and if they've got long flowing hair, that's what angels look like, and they've got golden wings and, you know, uh, a little, little glitter on their faces, a halo on their head, but again, not really a, truly a biblical picture of an angel. But angels are everywhere, aren't they? I mean, you know, they're even in the movies now, you know, uh, remember the old movie, Angels in the Outfield? See, they're even in baseball now. So angels are ever, they're on your greeting cards, especially at Christmas time, right? We got to admit, got them on the green. And you know what they do in the greeting cards is they lay on a cloud sideways, and they have the instrument called the harp. They play harp, they strum, and they sit on clouds, and that's what angels do, right? That's their, their function. But again, the Bible doesn't tell us anything about that. 
The Bible does teach us many things about angels. The first thing that we can know is that angels are actually created beings. They're created beings. They are not almighty like God is almighty and all-powerful. Angels are not almighty and all-powerful. They neither die nor reproduce. They were made and formed by God for God's own divine purposes. Now, some things about angels that we see in scriptures, they can be very strong. They can be very fast. They punish God's enemies. They're able to fight battles. They, they are worshipers of the Almighty God. And they deliver a message at God's command. These angels appear in Scripture over 300 times. And if you read all of the passages, they are kind of sticking their noses in sometimes the most unlikely places. They do some unexpected things. Some things just, just really quick to see that we see angels do in Scripture is they climb ladders. They wrestle people. They tame lions. They lift weights. They rescue captives. They comfort the frightened. They give care to those in need. They fight battles. They recruit strangers. And they're always giving warning amongst a few other things that they do. In the book of Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 in the NIV it says this, Therefore angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people, who will inherit salvation. Well, one key thing that we must remember about angels is that the messenger is not more important than the one who sends that messenger. And an angel in its simplest form, an angel would be a messenger from God. They're usually always bringing some type of a message from God, whether that be in word or whether that be in something that they do, whether that be in deed. God as the sender is never going to be less important than the angels that he sends. The prophet Daniel was visited by an angel and given a forecast of the future for the nation of Israel. I want you to listen to Daniel's description of his visitor. It's found in Daniel 10, 5, and 6. He says this, he says, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. Now, Euphaz was kind of like Michael Kors back then, okay? It was kind of the brand. So, no, I'm just kidding. That's a bad joke. Okay, his body was like beryl, which beryl is like a, an amethyst or like a gemstone. His face gave the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and legs were like the gleam of burnished bronze. And listen to this, and the sound of his words were like the sound of a multitude, like thousands of voices. A very dominating presence right there to Daniel. Most of the time when an angel shows up in the Bible, they say something like, Fear not. Do not be afraid. Do not be terrified. If you think about this in context of Christmas, that's where I remember most the first encounter with an angel like that, where the angel would actually, would actually uh, say something like that. Do you, do you remember the, the story of Christmas? You remember the shepherds were out in the fields keeping watch of their flocks by night. It says, And lo, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and it says that they were sore afraid, which I love sore afraid. It means terrified. They were completely frightened. And then the angel said unto them, those shepherds in the middle of the night, what it was the first words they said. They said, fear not. Right. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, they were bringing an angelic message there, right? They are bringing a message. From God through the angels to the shepherds. But how do they start it? Fear not. Fear not. When Mary had an angel appear to her, one of the first things the angel says is, do not be afraid, Mary. 
Other characters in the Bible had angels appear to them and say, don't be afraid. So there's something, I always think if somebody says, hey, don't be afraid, then there's probably something to be afraid of. I think the angels are dominating in their appearance. I want you also to notice that in Scripture we usually see the angels in the appearance of something like a man, like you and like me. We see that throughout Scripture. There's no mention of wings except for some special creatures in the Bible called the cherubim and seraphim, which may be a special category of angel in the Bible. But we need to understand and just acknowledge that with God, there's always more than meets the eye. And I think that would be true with the angels. Well, now that we've talked about the good, let's talk about the antithesis of the angels, which leads us to the, to the next question, which would be, who are the demons? What are demons? Because demons are mentioned more than 80 times in the Bible, and many of the times that demons are mentioned in the Bible, they're directly dealing with the Son of God, with Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is casting demons out of people. He deals with demons and dark spiritual forces a lot with the disciples. And some of his disciples, his followers, dealt with demons uh, far beyond when Jesus had ascended unto heaven. So what are they exactly? Well, demons, just like angels, are created beings. We read in Colossians 1.16 that God made everything. It is clear that Satan has a following of these beings. He is called the prince of demons in Matthew 12.24. And in Matthew 25.41, uh, Jesus actually refers to the devil and his angels. Demons are described throughout the scriptures. We see in the book of Daniel chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, and even in the epistles, Ephesians chapter 6. At the fall of Satan, when he was cast from heaven because he was trying to be worshipped like God was worshipped, it says in Revelation 12:4 that a third of the angelic host of heaven was sent down with him. And those angels, those fallen angels, are the demons. Demons are immoral deceitful but very intelligent they have strength they're invisible primarily they promote idolatry they promote falsehood they are conniving and their main mission is to actively hinder spiritual progress of believers and unbelievers in every way that they can they're a force that is always coming against us they can also possess and afflict people. I want to read for you uh, a story about that. Uh, Mark mentioned it during the worship earlier. Um, it's from Mark chapter 5. Uh, ju just, just listen to this as I read it. It says, They came to the other side of the sea, they as Jesus and the disciples, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles to pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. The demons, they can be strong. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and he was cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, pay attention to this, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, bowed before Jesus. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many, except he did it in like a demon voice, okay? And 
He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter into them. And so Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out of the man, entered into the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank and into the sea, and they drowned in the sea. And the herdsmen of those pigs fled and told it in the city and told it everywhere in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened there. Because, you know, there's like pig soup floating in the, floating in the sea. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by the demons begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away, and that formerly demon-possessed man began to proclaim in the Decapolis, which is the ten cities around that area, and to the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled at it. You see, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in God, then you, you kind of don't have a choice but to understand that there are angels and there are demons and there is a spiritual realm. If you're a believer in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then you kind of have to come to the reality that there is more than meets the Just assume that everything is just happening in the flesh. There are things that are mysterious to us. We can't understand it all. We don't understand it all. But we can know it's there. We can know that there is something going on. The spiritual world is referenced in our main passage this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. I know we're going to be looking at a lot of scripture today. If you didn't bring your Bible this morning, feel free to grab the one right there in the seat in front of you and turn it to page 979. And that will be right there where we need to be this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, of course, if you're following along on your uh, phone or your uh, iPad or tablet, you can follow along that way. All the scriptures and the bullet points are in there. We're just going to look at the first verse. We're going to read the rest of this passage um, in just a few minutes. But Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says this. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Did you catch that? Our battle is not against flesh and blood. When you feel like the world is coming against you and the world is attacking you, and yes, sometimes that can come in the form of being offended by humans, but your battle is not against flesh and blood. The scripture says that it is against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. It's against the evil that's in the world. Uh, the one that rules over the present darkness. Against the rulers, against the authorities and the cosmic powers of evil that are in the world. And because this is spiritual warfare, we must all admit that there is more than meets the eye here. You see, if the enemy were flesh and blood, we would prepare our bodies physically for the conflict. If the enemy were of this world, we would use the weapons of this world to fight the enemy. 
But in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 5, it reminds us, it says, For though we walk in the flesh in our human form, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. It's talking about spiritual weapons here. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Because the war that we're fighting spiritually, because it is a spiritual struggle, then we prepare ourselves spiritually. And we must be smart. And we must be cunning. Because Satan is smart. And he's cunning and he's a liar and he's a deceiver. And he has this way that he deceives us to make things that are wrong seem right. We call that sin. And something that every person in the sanctuary this morning has in common, it doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't matter how young you are, it doesn't really matter anything about your background or your socioeconomic scale, none of that stuff matters. One thing that we all have in common is we've all been deceived by Satan. Because we've all given in to temptation and to something that he made look good, and we said, hey, I'm going to walk that path, I'm going to go that way, I'm going to try that on, I'm going to see how that works. And we found ourselves in sin. We found ourselves in a situation that we didn't want to be in. And it caused us pain in our life. And maybe not only in our lives, but the lives of those around us, into friends, maybe into, into family members. And, and Satan is a liar and a deceiver. His main mission, uh, John 10.10 10 talks about it. He says that the thief, he's a thief, and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. Marriage, steal, kill, and destroy. Families, steal, kill, and destroy everything in your life. That's what he's all about. And he is crafty and cunning, and it's amazing because he can take people that are seemingly nice and normal, we would call them normal, and good and well-intentioned, and can turn them walking down a very wrong path. And that's his mission. That's his game. And he happens to be very good at it as he's been practicing it for thousands of years. 2 Corinthians chapter eleven fourteen reminds us, and it says, And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. He's deceptive to us. So how should we respond to this? Okay, we've talked about angels, we've talked about demons, talking about spiritual warfare now. How should we respond to evil? How do we respond to darkness? How do we respond to spiritual warfare? I want to share three things that we need to do this morning. The first one is this, is we need to be aware. The first thing is we need to be aware. We need to have an awareness of the evil in our life. And it seems like there's two extremes to this. We have some people that aren't aware and they're just going to be completely ignorant of anything spiritual. Anything in the spiritual realm that goes on, anything in the heavenly places that goes on, we're just going to be completely ignorant. You know, I don't see demons, I don't hear demons, I don't see angels. and So I'm just going to be ignorant and say that stuff doesn't exist because I, I can't see it or I can't comprehend it perhaps. You know, reading the scriptures, there's a lot of weird stuff in there, and I don't, I don't get it, so we'll just be completely ignorant, and, and that's one side of it. Then we have people on the other side of it, and the people on the other side, well, there sometimes is some, I call it overzealous demonizing, you know? I, I had a lady one time that was out in the lobby, this was years ago here at Oakwood, she was out in the lobby, and she had like a sneeze attack, and, and her allergies were really bad, you could just see it, you know, going through the allergies, and I remember she goes, oh, the demon of sneezing. I'm like, Really? A demon of sneezing? I mean, you know, it reminded me of another story of the lady that uh, she got up in the middle of the night to go get a drink in the kitchen, 
And uh, she got up in the middle of the night and was, was fumbling around in the dark, and she stubbed her toe, almost broke her toe. I mean, it was swollen and hurting really bad. And I remember she was looking for something deep and spiritual from that. And she's like, what was God trying to tell me? You know, I stubbed my toe, almost broke. What was he trying to tell me? I was like, he's trying to tell you to turn on the light. <laughs> so if you turn on the light, you could see. And so here's my point is we don't want to make it too far one way. We don't want to make it too far the other way. We don't want to have this, this overzealous demonizing going on. But at the same time, let's not be completely ignorant about these things. You see, good warriors, good fighters, They don't deny that there's a battle, nor do they attack everything that they can see. Good warriors are on alert and are aware of the enemy, and they carefully choose their battles. In 1 Peter 5, verse 8, this warning comes. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking who he will devour. So the first thing that we need to do, and I want everybody as Christians is just be aware there is spiritual warfare going on the second thing is don't give darkness an open door in your life do not give darkness an open door in your life I would like say it I would write it on your mirror at home I would want you to remember this do not give darkness an open door in your life the Bible says this says to leave darkness and evil things alone do not dabble in them do not play with them and I'm about palm reading, I'm talking about psychics, talking about tarot cards, Ouija boards, watching dark movies, going to fortune tellers, doing any of that kind of stuff. Even if you think it's safe and it's cute and it's just for fun, it's not. It's evil. I want you to hear the words of Scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 through 13. Now, this is a time when God is preparing the nation of Israel to come into the promised land. And there's, there's evil people groups that are against the Lord in the promised land. He's preparing them. This is what he says to the nation of Israel. They, he says, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you as a gift, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughter as an offering, because some of those people groups were doing that. Nor anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer. Does anyone here know what a necromancer is? I actually had to look that up. It's, it's a wizard or a warlock. So not a sorcerer, not a charmer, not a medium, anyone who would call themselves a medium, uh, not a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. How? Because you're not going to open the door to darkness in your life. Now I want you to notice something that the Bible doesn't say but is saying through all of this. I want you to notice the Bible doesn't say that there's no reality in those things. The Bible never says, oh, those things are fun and they're cute. There's no truth to them. There's no evil power behind them. I mean, we've read scripture and we've looked at things about demons having power, Satan having power. So the Bible doesn't say, hey, there's no reality in this stuff. All the Bible says is stay away from it, get away from it, kill it, get away from it, get away from it, get away from it. Why? And it's because God doesn't want you to trust anything in your life other than him. He doesn't want you to trust the fortune teller. He doesn't want you to to trust the alignment of some stars. He doesn't want you to trust psychic readers. 
He doesn't want you to trust the way some cards fall. He wants you to trust only in him. God always, always does not want us to open the door to any type of evil or satanic force in our lives. When I was on staff a few years ago, it was just me and a guy named Derek Levins. Derek was a youth minister. I had just become senior minister. We had a girl from the youth group come to us, older high schooler, 17 years old. She was troubled. When she came to us, she was shaking and she was crying. She sat down at the table and had to have a friend speak for her because she was so upset she could barely talk. As she sat down with us, she talked about a movie she had seen called Paranormal Activity. And how she was just so scared and so shook up by that, she couldn't sleep, she couldn't eat, she could hardly relate to humans. And it was like, when they first came in, I remember Derek and I looked at each other and we thought, we might be dealing with a demon possession here. But it actually wasn't that at all. It was just, there was so much fear in that girl of darkness that she had opened herself and exposed herself to, that she just kept dwelling on it and thinking about it. She could not get it out of her mind. And we challenged her and said, do not watch scary movies. Do not read scary things. Do not open the door to evil in your life. Within a few weeks, we gave her scriptures to read. She got back on track with scriptures, back on track with praying to the Lord, and she was fine. But it was scary, and she was really affected by just opening the door to darkness in her life. All she did was watch a movie. All she did was watch a movie. But you see the effect of that darkness in her life. I remember as a teenager, when I was in youth group, the church had a a guy named Phil Chalmers come here. He did this thing called rock music seminars. And they were telling us how rock music has an effect in our lives. Whether we want to admit it or not, rock music does have a negative effect. And if you listen to the lyrics, you listen to to some of the, the language in it, it can affect you in a negative way. That was the whole point of the seminar. But and that one of his appeals to it all about video games and music and all kinds of media back then, which were saturated with media now, but even back then, back then being the late 80s, early 90s, one of the things that, that he talked about was the exposure to darkness in our lives, that we didn't want to open the door to the devil and give him another opportunity to lead us away because he's a liar and he's a deceiver and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy I remember he made this big deal, and, and I don't know if any of you remember, but have any of you ever heard of Sean Sellers? Okay, a few of you have heard of Sean Sellers. If you know his story, you know what I'm talking about. Sean Sellers was a teenager who was very troubled and was into uh, satanic things, into darkness, and he ended up killing his, uh, his uh, stepdad and his mom in cold blood. They were asleep in bed. He took both of their lives, and they took the life of someone at a gas station. When he got to prison, he actually found the Lord a few years later and then had some interviews with some people, and they said, tell us, why did you do this? He was only 16 years old when he committed these crimes. It was right here in Oklahoma, too. And I just, I just remember some of the interviews and hearing and reading some of the scripts from these, and he talked specifically about dark music. He talked about a video game called Dungeons & Dragons. Remember Dungeons and Dragons? He talked about becoming so obsessed with killing and gore and all that evil stuff that he just wanted to live it out. Now, whether he was demon-possessed or he had just opened the door to darkness in his life, it it did not bode well for him. He was 16 years old when he committed those crimes. He was tried as an adult, and he lost his life on death row when he was 30 years old. Don't give darkness an open door in your life. I would almost beg you, don't give darkness an open door 
in your life. It is never going to be cute. It's never going to be fun, and it's never going to lead to anything good. So we have to do these things. We have to be aware. We have to raise awareness. We have to make sure that we're not going to allow darkness in our life. And the third thing is we need to armor up. We need to armor up. Let's read the rest of our passage in Ephesians chapter 6 together. We're going to go back to verse 12, and they're going to read 13 through 18. It says, For we do not wrestle against what? Flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against humans, because it's a spiritual battle, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, in verse 13, therefore, anytime you read a therefore in the Bible, you see what it's there for. So in light of our spiritual battle, therefore, what's he going to say? He's going to say, take up. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. When the evil comes your way, you're going to be able to stand strong with God. And having done it all, standing firm. And then he says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, not some circumstances, but in all, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all of the flaming darts of the evil one. And take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God that we're reading right now, and praying at all times, in the spirit with all prayer and supplication and to that end keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all of the saints you see how many times there's all in there it's definitive he's telling us we got to armor up the devil is going to throw fiery darts your way in the many different forms and as a christian the only way you're going to stand is to armor up to take the belt of truth, to take on the breastplate of righteousness, to take on the sword of the Spirit. Notice all of the weapons in the armor are defensive in nature except for what? Sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Bible. It's the Word of God. Only offensive weapon there. And we're going to armor up to not just protect ourselves and to hunker down and to huddle down, but we're, we're actually doing something. We're actually living the way God has called us to live in righteousness and because of that, we're able to defeat evil because of the power of Jesus in our lives. And because we're taking on his armor, we're armoring up. The evangelist Billy Graham told the story of a missionary named John Payton in one of his books. John Payton was a missionary in Africa, and he was actually ministering to some people um, in these islands just off the coast of, of, of one of the countries in Africa. While he was there, he was learning the language. He'd been with them for years. He was probably, I'm guessing, in his 50s or 60s. His kids were grown. They'd come back to the United States. And so uh, John, uh, John uh, Payton was there ministering to the people with his wife. Well, something had happened. There was a misunderstanding, and the people of the village just got sick of the missionaries, and they decided, we're going to take them out. So they were in a grass hut near the village, and the story uh, goes that the uh, the chief of the tribe had, had gotten, like the elders of the tribe, they had all gotten tortures. They were going to come to the missionary's hut and burn it down. And while they were waiting for more men to come with torches because they're going to surround the place to make sure they didn't get out, they're going to make sure they were burned alive right there in their hut. John and his wife are inside. They hear the men yelling. They hear the commotion. They, they're yelling at them. They're, they're threatening them. 
They have the torches and they're surrounded. And John and his wife begin praying. He said, he got on his knees, he grabbed his wife's hand, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed for deliverance, and they prayed God would save them, and they prayed God would take care of their kids if they were going to lose their lives there, if they were to be martyred uh, by burning, that, that God would use the ministry that they'd done for so many years for his good. They, they prayed. And then after praying for about 15 or 20 minutes, they quit hearing voices. And he says that he went to the window and he kind of opened it up to look out through the thatch and all of the people were gone. All the men of the tribe were gone. The interesting thing was about two or three years later, they actually converted that chief to Christianity, became really good friends with John and his wife. And John asked the chief of the tribe at that time, he said, what happened? Do you remember the night where y'all were coming out with torches and you were threatening us? You were going to kill us that night. Me and my wife, we began praying and calling upon the Lord, and then you all left. He's like, what happened? And he said, well, the men that were surrounding your place with their shields and their swords, well, there was too many of them. We didn't want to fight them. They had swords, and we only had fire, and so we decided we weren't going to do it, and we went away. And I love how Billy Graham ends this part of the story. He says, believers, look up and take courage. Because the angels of God may be nearer than you think. You see, there's a spiritual part to this life. There's a spiritual realm that is out there. And there's a war going on for our very souls. Because before we leave this world, we have to make a decision and a choice. Are we going to go the way of God? Are we going to go the way of the world? Are we going to go the way of Satan? And every person is left to make that choice, to make that decision. Am I going to choose the way of God or am I going to choose the way of the world? Psalm 91, 11 says this, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. And think that the missionary John, John Payton and his wife, I think they stood on that verse when they were praying. And this morning, I just wanna challenge you to think for a minute. Have you opened up a place of darkness in your life? It's so easy to do nowadays. Have you opened up your heart and your mind to some darkness, some evil, some content that you're streaming online, maybe you're streaming it to your phone, and it's dark. And it's not leading anywhere good. Maybe you've been reading some books. Maybe you've been watching some movies. And you kind of know, you can kind of sense in your spirit because it's if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And it's almost like the Spirit is telling you, you need to get out of here, you need to put this away, you need to not do this. And yet because of the adrenaline rush a little bit, you continue to go back for more. And you're opening the door of darkness in your life. And I think the challenge for all of us is are we going to open that door and continue to make our choice to go the way that the world would have us to go, knowing that Satan is a deceiver and a liar. He's going to make things seem okay that are really not okay. Or are we going to choose to go the way of God? To expose our, so, ourselves to things of light. 
instead of darkness. I want you to think about that this morning. Is there an area in your life where you really feel like maybe you need some cleansing from the Lord? Because you have gone down a path that leads to nowhere good.